0: Alright, thanks girls and boys, you really, uh, you had the beat on that song, so thank you very much for doing that. Sorry, I thought we had this set up, and somehow I got it turned off. So we're going to see how we work on this. Well... We're going to do it the old-fashioned way, evidently. All right, we're talking about wandering today. Thinking about the, uh, the verse from Deuteronomy 30 where, where Moses says to the people, Choose life so you and your children may live and, and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. Well, this is the, the last sermon in our six-part series, so um, you're going to have to say goodbye to that little video intro. I, I hope that's all right with you. Maybe it's, maybe you're glad. Maybe you've seen it enough times. I don't know. I wanted them to make a DVD of that because I was sure that the sales would be off the charts, but apparently not. So, uh, so it's gone. We're talking today about unsportsmanlike conduct. We have a lot of that in chapter 6 of the story. In football, unsportsmanlike conduct is a big penalty. And I think it's also a very infuriating one for teammates, coaches, and fans. Why is that? It's because almost always it's avoidable. Unsportsmanlike conduct happens when, when somebody loses his head. And loses control. I want to keep that in mind as we consider this past week's reading. As we talk about uh, wandering. You know, when we look at the title of the chapter, Wandering, that uh, that certainly is a reference to the wandering of the people of Israel in the wilderness, isn't it? But I think it's more than that. I think it also talks about the wandering that they did For years before God decided they were going to wander for 40 more years. I'm talking about spiritual wandering. About the way that they wandered away from him. Chapter 6 has all kinds of examples of God's people wandering and why they wandered. I want to uh, look at some of those examples with you today. And actually what we're going to do... Is going to read something from the story, and I want you to figure out who said this, who demonstrated unsportsmanlike conduct, who wandered away from God in this way. So, first of all, we have self pity. Who said this to God? I cannot carry all these people by myself, the burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me if I found favor in your eyes. I never can figure out how those two go together. Go ahead and kill me if I found favor in your eyes. But I guess when you're filled with self-pity, you don't always make sense. Do not let me face my own ruin. Who said that? That was Moses. Who said this next thing? And this uh, demonstrates doubt. Here I am among 600,000 men on foot, and you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Who demonstrated that kind of doubt? That also was Moses. How about some jealousy and pride? Who said this? Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he also spoken through us? Who said that? Miriam and Aaron. At least one person's getting it right. So if, uh, if anybody else wants to chime in, uh, this is audience participation time. How about who demonstrated uh, quite a bit of fear? After coming back from the promised land, they said to the people, The people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. Who said that? Ten of the spies, anyway, and then the the people of Israel kind of picked up the refrain on that. How about this one? Who demonstrated refusal to believe? God is speaking to Moses, and he said, How long will they refuse to believe in me, in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? Speaking of about whom? That was the Israelites. And how about big-headedness? apparently that's not a real word at least my spell checker kept uh, underlining that but but it's real enough that i think you know what it what it means who said this and demonstrated big-headedness while he was at it listen you rebels must we bring you water out of this rock once again that was moses did you catch the big-headedness part because he could have said must the lord bring water for you out of this rock instead he said must must we do it, taking credit for it himself. How about stupidity? Who said this to God and to Moses? Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. Who was showing, I think, stupidity there anyway. The Israelites, and then the last one is lust We're told about the Israelite men. They began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women. Now, you can take just a a minute to take a look at that list. What do we learn from that? Number one, we learn that nobody's immune to temptation to wander. Secondly, maybe you can learn something from looking at that list and seeing if if some of those on there maybe apply to you a little bit more than others. They're not going to apply equally to all of us or or to any of us, but maybe there's one or two or four or five up there that especially hit home with you, and you want to um, pray for God's help with that because they tend to, to make you wander. And what happens when we wander. Well, there are so many consequences and I'm listing those on the screen. We're not going to talk about all of those except for the second one. Be careful what you pray for. That's in reference to the people of Israel where they're complaining we want meat and what does God say? Alright, you're going to get it. Sometimes one of the worst consequences is when God gives us What we want and what we pray for. And so he said, boy, you're going to get meat. You're going to have meat to eat every day for a month. And so for the people of Israel, it felt as if that meat was coming out of their nostrils. When you look at a list like this, there are some pretty bad things that happened as a result of the wandering of the people of Israel. And I think the question that we can ask to that is, why did God do that? Some would look at those, that list of consequences or the the pages that we read this past week in the story, and they would say, God is mean, vindictive, petty. Or they would say, He is the figment of the imagination of somebody who is mean or vindictive or petty. And I guess on the one hand, we maybe can understand why. Some might be inclined anyway to think that way. But we know something that we wish they knew. And that is that God is not that way, mean, vindictive, or petty. Rather, God is compassionate and loving and merciful and kind. And so when we see some of the, the consequences of wandering, of unsportsmanlike conduct that we just had up there. We don't say God is mean, we say I wonder what God is up to. I wonder why our loving God is doing these things rather than just forgiving and forgetting, because isn't that what God's supposed to do? And when we ask that question, we can come up with some answers that I think make sense. One reason why why God punishes sin is His righteous anger. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God gets angry over sin. I'm glad that He doesn't just look the other way at the injustice that takes place in our world. Because when you sin and when I sin, God does become angry about that. Because when we sin, we're hurting ourselves and we're hurting others. And that makes God angry. And I, for one, am glad for that. It's kind of like the ref throwing the flag for unsportsmanlike conduct or anything else. If you don't play by the rules of the game, people get hurt. And God says, we want you to play by the rules of the game. Sometimes he throws that flag also just as a a visible warning, as a correction, to get our attention so that before we wander too far down the wrong path, he can bring us back and put us on the path that, that he has chosen for us. And sometimes I think God either brings or allows those kinds of things to happen in the lives of his people, just to remind us who is God. I don't mean who's in charge here. I mean the God who loves us, who knows how he created us to live, and how he cares for us. I read this past week something I hadn't thought of before, and I thought it, uh, it makes a lot of sense. And that is that the greatest enemy of faith... Now, you could fill that, you know, there's a lot of things that I suppose you could say that about. But this person said, anyway, the greatest enemy of faith is forgetfulness. Yeah. When we forget. When we forget who God is. And what He wants for us. And decide that we're going to take over God's place in our lives. When we wander... There are many consequences, but we also know that when we wander, we have an intercessor. In the uh, chapter 6 of the story, and other places as well, of course, Moses served as the intercessor for the people. He prayed for Miriam and Aaron when they were, a, a, well, Miriam was afflicted with that uh, leprous disease. He, he prayed for his people more than once. In fact, one time, he prayed for them so fervently... That he said, God, if you can't save them, then don't save me either. A little bit like what Tom was talking about, what what Jesus said. Sometimes we look at Moses and and we, we focus on his flaws, and I think it could be appropriate to do that. We mentioned some of those again today. But what we also recognize and realize is that Moses was a great leader who loved his people, who was willing to stand between them and God to pray for them. We know somebody else like that, don't we? We have an intercessor. His name is Jesus. We read about him in First John chapter 2. Would you read this with me? My dear children, I write this to you so you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus is our defense attorney. And when, he, when we're on trial before God, and He's our defense attorney, in one way it's an open and shut case. We're guilty. But in another way it's an open and shut case because we are forgiven. And all Jesus as the defense attorney has to do, see the, the hard work has already been done. All He has to do is to remind His Father of these words that come to us from John three fourteen, hearken back to what we read in this chapter. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And when Jesus pleads our case before his father, then God welcomes us back every time. What happens after that? Does the cycle repeat itself, begin all over again? Well, that's been the history, hasn't it? It's what we read about. It's been the history of of our experience as well. But the third point in your sermon outline talks about how not to wander. And you might look at that and say, well, evidently that's impossible. But Apparently it isn't, because Moses at the very end of the journey, at the end of his life, after he's gone through everything he's gone through with the people, he says this to them. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you. It doesn't mean it's easy, it's difficult, it's just not too difficult, so difficult that you can't do it, or beyond your reach. No, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart, so you may believe it. And then he tells us how not to wander. Actually, um, this afternoon maybe read pages eighty-four to eighty-seven in the story. That's that's Moses' farewell sermon to his people, and he's got so much wonderful advice in there. But he says to us these kinds of and these are all different ways of saying the same thing. First of all, we've already read, Choose life so that you and your children may live and you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold to him forever. Remember, Jesus says, or Moses says, Remember, Moses says, You were shown these things so that you might know what? That the Lord is God. Remember, it's when we forget that, that we begin... To wander. And Moses also gave these words, and actually these words are a lot like the Apostles Creed in one sense anyway. This is a summary of the faith of the people of Israel. In fact, these were words that they spoke, not pretty much every week in worship, but that they spoke every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then these words, you read those with me. Love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then he says, and talk about that with your kids because not only do we not want, does God not want us to wander, he, he doesn't want our children and our grandchildren to wander as well, but rather to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. May He give to each one of us The desire and the strength always to choose life. To choose the Lord, who is our God, who is our life. Amen. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.